0: Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner, from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today's episode is a new format. It's an Ask Me Anything format, meaning I take in questions from you guys, the listeners. Follows me on social media and I just answer them. Uh, So in this episode, I'm gonna answer, you know, five to seven questions that people ask me on Twitter from, you know, how would I pick an emerging franchise today to uh, when is a franchise a viable investment and a bunch of other questions. I just basically riff off the top of my head based on the questions so you guys get the real raw responses from me. These aren't, you know, carefully planned and answered in advance. I want you guys just to hear how I really feel about these things. So we're going to be doing this once a month. And if you ever want to submit your own question, you can DM me on Twitter. Uh, You can look out for tweets where I ask you all to leave your questions in the replies. Or you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn or my website, wolfoffranchises.com, where you can submit a form to contact me. So thanks for listening. And let me know what you guys think of this new format. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions, and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. All right, Wolfpack, I'm excited for this. Let's just dive right into the question. So first one from Paul Tran, a former guest on the podcast, actually. He asked, if you're interested in buying an emerging brand, what kind of things do you look for to better your chances of success and enjoying the ride up Great question. Right off the bat, I definitely wrote a newsletter about this and I'll dig that up as I kind of respond here, but I went pretty deep into my criteria for evaluating an emerging franchise. So I would definitely read that if I was you guys, and I can link to that in the show notes for you to dive into it. But overall, look, there's some criteria that everyone should be looking for. The biggest thing is return on investment potential, which your best ways of understanding that are using the FDD, and hopefully they have some performance representations in there. If not, it could be a red flag, especially if it's an emerging brand. To me, that's a red flag. I have yet to find a good reason why someone wouldn't actually include their financial data in there other than that it isn't that impressive. That's a hot take in the industry, but it shouldn't be. It's true. If you're in the industry, you probably know it. You just don't want to say it. And then beyond that, you know, you can also talk to franchisees, of course. So bigger some bigger brands, right, don't have performance representations in their FDD. But again, Paul's question was referring to specifically emerging brands. So, you know, there's a few other things and I just found the the newsletter it's from, and you can access this on my website if you don't want to check the show notes at woefulfranchises.com. Go to the newsletter section on the navigation bar up top. And all my newsletters are in chronological order from most recent to the oldest. So you can just scroll down to the September 25th, 2023 edition and read this. But beyond the return on investment potential, replicable operations is super important. You know, you want a brand that can scale and teach you how to run that business over and over again. Not just you though, your other franchisees, if the brand's gonna scale, it's gotta be a simple enough concept. The supply chain has to scale as well. And then you wanna make sure there's some value to the brand. And even if it's not at the stage it is today, right? Cause you know, every franchise, including McDonald's started with one location, which means the large majority of the country doesn't know about a brand for a while. But if you can see that brand evolving into something real and the executive team too, if you can see them, you know, If they're not necessarily C-suite leaders, which they're probably not, they're bootstrap franchise or founders, they don't have to be, you know, can they evolve into leading this brand into regional, national, potentially international brand, as well as support you and, you know, be good business coaches to you. The last thing I'll just say on this question, because there's a lot here, is, you know, check out, try to understand how well capitalized the franchise brand is. You know, I give a lot of credit to any entrepreneur. It's very tough to build a business. The thing with franchising is, though, is it's a big responsibility if you're going to franchise your brand because you're saying, hey, I have a business and it is so good that it's worth other people investing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to you know, basically license our brand and we'll teach them how to run the business and so on. But a lot of these brands aren't aware of how expensive it actually it is, right? I think there's this misconception that you could just sell franchises and you're going to get rich off the franchise fees but then they get into the game and realize that they're probably only going to find franchisees via franchise brokers and that's because most people don't you know really have an audience or any other effective or profitable way to market to find new franchise operators and then all the franchise fee revenue is going out the door to brokers for the most part you know when i say all i mean probably anywhere from 50 to 80% and that's if they're using an, a franchise sales organization on top of it. If not, just forty to seventy-five percent typically is is what brokers take. Though so there are some who take ninety percent. Either way, it's a huge dent in your franchise fee commission and revenue, and you don't have much to invest into the actual franchisees and hire support staff and training staff and you know scale up marketing across your franchisee base and pay for technology tools like Crockett or other franchise specific softwares that. Actually, provide value to you as a franchisor and your franchisee network. So, if your franchisor doesn't have on their balance sheet, which you can check that in the financial statements in the exhibits of the FDD, they're required to share their, you know, full financial statements. There, you know, you got to understand really what are they actually going to be able to invest and support you with, but and you're the one taking the risk. So it's well within your rights to have that conversation. So that was a long response. I'll try to be a bit quicker with some of the next ones, but that was, a, that was a big question. So I wanted to cover as much as I could. Next one Joseph Durfee, what franchise category outside of home services are you most bullish on for the next decade? Hmm. For one, my gut reaction is a decade is a long time to be bullish on something. Things change pretty quickly, right? Over a 10 year period. Home services, he's right to exclude that because they're never going out of style. Even though I think there's a lot of home service franchises and a lot of people are thinking it's going to be easy money i would disagree with that i think look i mean food and beverage is the biggest category in franchising restaurants that is i'm sure there'll be some new winners over the next 10 years that that don't really that aren't known today or aren't don't even exist yet health and wellness you know it's a bit trendy with you know saunas and you know med spas are popping up i think there'll probably be a few winners from that long term but it could become oversaturated Yeah, I mean, honestly, my take on this and, you know, when I look back to the newsletter I wrote, I think it was the the top five franchises of 2023. That was my last newsletter of 2023. I mean, I had two home service brands. I had Rolling Suds, a power washing franchise, and then a residential cleaning franchise called Home Clean Heroes on the list. I had Funbox, a recreation slash event franchise, you know, where you build a bounce house and You basically have like a little pop-up festival for a day on the weekends and it drives pretty impressive numbers. Then I had Milkshake Factory and then I had Uptown Cheapskate. So Milkshake Factory, as you would guess, it's an ice cream restaurant effectively. And then Uptown Cheapskate is a used clothing store and they were the number one concept on my list. So what that tells you is we have a restaurant, we have a retail clothing store, we have home services, and then we have you know recreational it's called so all over the map for concepts and i would say i'm less focused on specific industries per se and more focused on individual concepts i just i don't think the industry approach works well for franchises in general it's if you're going to buy an emerging one especially right the winners you know, there's usually only a few winners of each category. And, and I mean like serious winners, right? And You know, if we look at boutique fitness, you have Orange Theory who's who's done well for a long time, even though they're probably going through some consolidation right now. And then you have a lot of other niche small brands that, you know, franchisees haven't done well in. So yeah, great question, but I tend to just pick out individual concepts that I think show really impressive union economics, have a good team, can grow or are growing. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the industry is because, you know, franchises are at the end of the day, just typically just a small business that they're able to scale by training other people to deliver that same service in their market. So, yeah, that's my thoughts there. Moving on, this person says, I was both franchisee and franchisor. At what point does the franchise restaurant become a viable investment? 12 units, 50 units, multiple states. When does the royalty or marketing percentage really pay off? So I think that's not something that you know, I guess a different way to say this is, you know, it really depends on your risk appetite for that first part, you know, when does it become viable? And it also depends on some of that criteria I mentioned earlier from Paul's question, right? You know, are they scoring 10 out of 10 on every criteria for an emerging brand? Because then maybe that brand is actually a viable investment at five or 10 locations or two locations even, you know, who knows? I mean, there's always going to be some risk regardless, but I think it really depends on someone's risk appetite. Personally, if I saw 50 locations open and the economics from these 50 locations were good and the franchise or team was solid and all that stuff, you know, return on investment was there, you know, that's more than enough proof of concept for me because that's really what we're talking about is, you know, when is there enough proof of concept? For some people, it might not be 100 or 200 or 300. You know, I'm probably higher up on the risk appetite scale. So, yeah, you just got to know where you fall there. But, you know, generally, if, if it's a, uh, yeah. You know, and I guess the last thing I'd say is the longevity of the investment, right? I've talked a bit about recently these brands that have three to five locations with crazy new economics, and then they're selling 500 plus locations off the back of that. And who knows though, how long are those economics going to hold up, right? So that's what you have to think about too. And then for the royalty or marketing percentage, when does that really pay off? Yeah. Look, I've always thought about it of a or can... Charge you whatever they want for the royalty as long as you're making profits. And it's fine, right? If a franchisee is getting charged somehow, you know, let's pretend there's a hypothetical brand out there that's charging a 50% royalty and you're still making your money back in two to three years as a franchisee. And then the rest is pure profit. That's phenomenal for you. So, yes, a franchise brand in that ridiculous scenario could charge 50% of the profits. And actually, as I'm saying that, I mean, uh, I'm kind of like, Dancing around Chick Fil A's model, which obviously there's a lot of differences there. But the point is, is you sh- I always just think of it as what is the cost to build and operate a location, and how much money can I make when all is said and done after the royalty, after the marketing percentage. And if you're you're able to make, you know, my target is like brands that at least show the potential to earn your money back in three years. If you're able to do that, then it doesn't really matter like when, quote unquote, the royalty or the marketing percentage pays off. You know, if the franchise brand is helping you build a really successful business, then that's all that matters at the end of the day. Next question. Are franchises relevant in the age of information? Does a brand really carry the weight it once did? Yes, absolutely. I mean, these are small businesses and brick and mortar and service businesses. You know, those aren't going obsolete all of a sudden, so uh and does a brand really carry the weight it once did i absolutely i'm a firm believer in brand brands are never going away uh whether you like it or not you know people are buying teslas because they want to say that they're a tesla owner right that's the brand speaking you know someone drinks sam adams over heineken because it's part of their identity one brand aligns their identity and that's part of their personal narrative and so brand will always matter whether it's in consumer products where you shop which gym you go to and so on. And so, you know, franchises that are consumer retail focused, I think it really matters. Or it can matter and it can be a huge differentiator. So I don't think it's going away in the age of information. Not sure if there was more behind that question, but that's my quick take. Next question from T B how do you think about non-physical franchise concepts? How are territories adequately defined slash protected? So great question for non-physical franchise concepts the way they break down the territory is incredibly important for you to understand during your due diligence process and you can get a sense of that in item 5 of the FDD so look it's going to vary from brand to brand but you know I was just speaking with someone about home services franchises that you know I think there was a, there's two fencing brands one of them is much more developed and he was telling me that you know he bought a one territory for in that territory included a population of four hundred thousand people. That's how the brand was defining it, a territory. And then this new fencing brand was breaking up quote unquote territories into population groups of a hundred thousand each. So for that second brand, four territories is the equivalent to one territory for the first brand I was discussing. And so that second brand, you're gonna have to pay four franchise fees to secure the same amount of population to build your business in. So again, like The numbers gotta be pretty good for you to to justify for franchise fees just for that level of population. And also ideally, right, I mean, you have some baseline of comparison in the item nineteen of the FTD where the corporate territory they're showing, they also disclose, you know, what level of population that business is generally servicing. So that way you can know, okay, the corporate unit has been around for X number of years. Maybe it's this the equivalent of two to three territories and aka two to three franchise fees. And you know, I've talked a little bit about broker dynamics and franchise sales organization dynamics, but your average franchise fee to me it looks to be going up. You know, there's new brands popping up that are doing sixty thousand dollar franchise fees. And then there's some like more legacy brands that are still charging the twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar franchise fee that used to be the norm. And I think that's sixty thousand dollars. I mean, right, if you're when you're looking at how the territories are broken up, that's a big chunk of cash for most individuals to, you know, if they want to secure the market that they want to build a business where they can really change their life financially. And it's a bigger upfront investment to secure that territory if you have to all of a sudden, you know, do 60,000 times four instead of just one franchise fee. So definitely, you know, look into that. And again, it's all about your overall return on investment factored into this. Look, if you have to find if a brand is being a bit It's uh, expensive from a franchise fee territory perspective, but the numbers will still, you know, they appear to be great for you after that hurdle. It can still absolutely be worth it. But uh, again, it just, it does make it tougher for the individual. How can someone start slash open a franchise today in the QSR space? It's a high initial investment with very high rates. I'm assuming it means interest rates there and payout usually ends up being around seven to 10 years with today's high labor costs. Thanks in advance." That's from Novice Trader. Thanks for the question. Great question. So yeah, it is hard out there right now. I wrote a newsletter recently to start the year. How would uh, people get started today? And this was from current successful franchisees. And one of them basically specifically said, he's like, I would avoid brick and mortar. Uh, I would go only you know into home services. Or just not brick and mortar because you know cost of capital is up, right? Interest rates are a lot higher. So if you get a loan from uh, SBA loan, the interest rates are going to be a lot higher today than they were in the last you know five to ten years. The cost of construction is also considerably higher. You know rents are going up, labor costs are going up in restaurants especially, right? So yeah, it's never been more difficult to start a restaurant, and you know it's going to be interesting over the next two to five years. You have a lot of brands and, and locations that may have to up their rent price quite a bit because the landlords are forcing them to pay that. And you're going to see, you know, more menu inflation, most likely from that. That That's the result. I mean, there's only so much that restaurant owners can do. and unfortunately they have to pass on some of these costs to the customers. That's just the way it goes. So yeah, I think there's still good opportunities out there. It's very difficult to sift through them. I would frankly find a franchise consultant you could trust, which I'm happy to recommend some, just DM me on Twitter or pay for a subscription like Crockett where you know you can s- filter and sort through 2,500 plus franchises today. But I think smaller square footprint, right? Super, you know, like takeout type places, you know, anything with big square footage and, you know, there is dine-in, uh, you got to be careful about. Not to say that, I'm not saying that category is dead and gone. I'm just saying you have to be very careful about a concept like that. But yeah, I think that the smaller footage, square footage concepts, you know, with quick to go, takeout ordering would be, and low on labor, obviously, right? Those are your safest bets to, to try to mitigate your expenses, which again, it's, it's just a tough battle right now for restaurant owners. Oh, last question. Kelly Foster, which specific franchise sees the highest failure rate? If you can't get that granular, how about by industry? So I can get that granular, I guess. I mean, look, the biggest brands typically are the ones that are closing the most locations, right? So, like, just right off the bat, I mean, Subway, I believe, is number one over the last three years. They've closed close to 5,000 locations. They're now owned by Rorke Capital, thank God, because, you know, it was really a tumultuous history with that brand in the prior ownership group. But yeah, I mean, Subway, again, they've closed 5,000 locations and they still have, you know, 20 ish thousand locations open in America and more worldwide. But that 5,000 locations that they've closed in the U.S., I mean, that's that's more than, you know, that number of locations more than most brands have by a large margin. So I don't know if there's emerging brands that are closing. You know, I know some places like Massage Envy closed, have closed like 100 locations or so in the last few years. You know, I'm thinking off the top of my head here. I mean, Quiznos is still going downhill. Blimpy is still going downhill. Even I remember Denny's talk about dine-in options, right? they've closed about 115 locations over the last few years golden corral as well so there's kind of this like legacy casual dining and some cat and some fast food right some legacy fast food like uh such as um golden corral that they are closing locations and so but even you know some places like jimmy johns have closed about 150 stores burger king is also closing stores like 300 stores over the last few years. And now I'm reading data off of our backend data system in Crockett, just so you guys know. But then I also see F45 has closed a couple hundred locations as well. Same as Supercuts, 422 locations they've closed. So yeah, look, there's a lot of brands that are always going through these ups and downs. Uh, That's the bottom line. And that's why you want to check, again, item 20 in the FTDs where you can get all this information about any brand that you're looking at. So you know, not just that first chart, dive into chart, the deeper charts, three, four, and five to really get a sense of how many locations are opening each year in each state. And then that you can just scroll to the bottom of those charts and they show you the aggregate numbers. Uh, so you can see just you know how many are actually were open at the start of the year, how many were open at the end of the year. And that doesn't factor in units that have new units that have open. So you just get a clear picture there of what's actually going on. And yeah, guys, that's all the questions for today. So hopefully I can rip through a lot more of them in the next AMA, next month at the end of February. And yeah, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions on the format, if you want it to be more formal, or if you do like just me kind of riffing off the top of my head, feel free to let me know. And uh, yeah, thanks always for listening. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.